Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Chicago Business Podcast, where we introduce leading executives in the area and learn how innovation is impacting their businesses. I am your host, Drew Sekula, and today we welcome Bamsi Bantala, CEO and co-founder of Arbor Lodging Partners, a national debt and equity investor in the hospitality industry. Together with his partner and co-founder, Shino Patel, they also lead Arbor Lodging Management, a Chicago-based national owner and operator of hotels. So lots to talk about today. Hello, Vamzi. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Drew. How are you? I'm doing real well. Nice to meet you and happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, same here. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Nice. Well, before we get into it, let's break the ice with the, uh, with the beverage of the day. Do you, uh, you have your selection there? The beverage of the day is boring, but it's black coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> Straight black coffee. No, I like it. I, uh, it's an old standby, still a little early in the day, although it's on, on the edge there. I don't like drink, drink too much coffee after after two o'clock. But uh, I, I usually need a little afternoon pick me up. Uh, and and I, I'm not a Starbucks hater, but I, I normally would like a, a more of a local option, but uh, it's two degrees outside and Starbucks is across the street. So this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're, uh, where are you coming uh, from us today? Uh, uh, we're, in the, we're in the West Loop. Uh, we've uh, officed in a few different spots in Chicago, been here for the last two years and absolutely love it over here. Dynamic part of town, lots going on uh, and uh, exciting to, to be a part of all this growth. Yeah, very nice. There's been so much development around in, in that area and everything is kind of moving out further and further west, I guess, there. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, good to hear some people are making it back into the office. How many how many uh, folks do you have in the office there? So we have about 25 people in the corporate office. Uh, we have been coming back since May, actually, uh, in shifts. So each team has three days a uh, uh, of the week that they come back. My, my team in particular, we come back uh, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So it's been great. Um, as you can imagine, hotel business has certainly had its challenges in the past year, and it's been really nice to be able to work together as a team. Uh, obviously, nothing like what it used to be, but uh, you know, with all the protocols and safety and, and all of that, but still nice to, to be at least in uh, relative proximity to one another. Right, definitely. I've I've definitely picked up on that a lot where, you know, people are obviously making do, but uh, you really do lose some of that team camaraderie when everybody's on Zoom and, uh, and, and you don't have that, uh, that interact, the face-to-face -face interaction, something is missing. So it's good that you guys have been able to uh, figure out the right balance for your, your business there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been great. We actually gave the team some input on it and, um, we were actually uh, surprised at how overwhelmingly folks wanted to be able to come back. So it, it's worked out really well. So you have a team of about 25, then that's across the two, uh, the two businesses in terms of- That's right. Yeah, it, uh, across the entire platform, we have over a thousand employees. That obviously includes folks that are on site at the hotels. In the corporate office, we have folks that are both on the investment side of the business and the management side of the business that uh, is around 25 folks. Um, most of that is on the management side. That tends to be more of the, the 
intensive side of the business, as you can expect. So that's everything from operations and sales, accounting, HR, food and beverage. Um, and then on the investment side, we've got folks that are actively looking for opportunities, asset management, capital markets. All right. So help me understand this a little bit, because I have a basic understanding of how the model works. But, you know, the hotels and uh, the hotel industry in, in general, you have uh, the owners and then you have the management companies. Right. So the owners, obviously, are the ones that have the investment in the properties. Management uh, companies are generally you know, operating the hotels and you guys play in both both sides of that. So can that, you that's kind right. of, yeah, take me through that a little bit. Yeah, and actually I would add a third stakeholder in that, and that's the franchise company often. So not every hotel is franchised, but a majority of them in the U.S. are. So um, the three components, as you said, with the first two being the, the actual owner, then the management company that is uh, managing day-to-day -day operations, and then the franchise that is providing the brand as well as uh, brand standards and the reservation system and things like that. Uh, we are what's known as vertically integrated uh, owner operator. So we're all under one shop. It's sort of core to our thesis. Uh, I, obviously, everything starts from the investment uh, standpoint, but we feel like we're better investors and we get uh, into the nitty gritty of an opportunity a lot better by having the management infrastructure as well. And then post acquisition, executing on that with the management company being uh, a part of the investment team. Yeah, I guess that I didn't realize that. I thought that the uh, the franchises provided more of that uh, management themselves, um, but that's really a separate uh, a separate piece in terms of running the day to day operations. And uh, yeah, that's right. So they they actually uh, they do do that. And so to go even deeper into <laughs> the business, no, it's that they do, they, they can provide management and that's sort of what's known as a manchise. So it's a management plus franchise. So as a part of the management agreement, you get access to the brand name and, and using the reservation system, all of those things, as well as operating the day-to-day -day business. Um, and in some cases they actually make that a requirement. So it, it, oftentimes if you see a major hotel in a city center, more often than not, that is managed by Marriott or Hilton or, or whatever it may be. But it, for the most part, most of those hotels are franchised. And so we enter into license agreements that you know, range anywhere from 10 to 20 years and have the ability to use the name, uh, but operate on a day-to-day -day basis ourselves. And, you know, for example, one difference with, you know, another industry that has a lot of franchising to take like the food side of the business uh, McDonald's, for example, tends to direct what pricing is going to be. So you go everywhere. The Big Mac is more or less the same price because of what McDonald's is telling you. Whereas in our business, pricing is completely independently done on a hotel by hotel basis. Right. Yeah, that makes sense that you're uh, closest to the street there. So, you know, uh, that supply and demand certainly better than anyone uh, mm -hmm. within your within your market. So you guys work with uh, several of the major brands then? So Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, IHG, huh? That's right. So we do work with all four of those, uh, but the majority of our portfolio is with Marriott and Hilton. Okay. And then, and so on the investor side, you guys are investing uh, the money of the firm and then do you, you bring in outside investors as well? That's right. So we have our Arbor Capital that's invested. 
And then we partner with institutional capital partners. So that tends to be private equity funds, hedge funds, uh, offshore capital, large family offices. Uh, a, a lot of real estate has operated that way, but particularly in the hotel world where it's a operating aspect of real estate and it's sort of an expert driven part of real estate. Uh, a lot of capital allocators like the funds tend to partner with uh, firms like ourselves. So we both will co-invest together and, uh, and, and sort of execute on the business plan together. And, and that's a, a process that we, we decided to go that method versus trying to raise a fund ourselves, uh, just to maintain flexibility uh, through different types of cycles and different types of investment strategies where we can really try to go after what we think is just a good opportunity uh, versus getting boxed in too much. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Well, uh, certainly it's been some interesting, uh, it's been an interesting year over the last 12 months to be in, in that business, I guess, really, uh, you know, feeling the effects of the black swan event with, uh, with the pandemic, how is that, um, you know, th that's really kind of, uh, I guess, been eye opening for, for returns, uh, within your business. How have your investors been, uh, responding to that and how flexible have the, the parties been? Yeah, it's a good question. And as I, as I often answer this, I start with saying I was told once that no good stories uh, or, or all good stories come from bad times. So <laughs> I think we're going to have a lot of good stories after this year. Um, I, I, I have to say that our partners have been phenomenal. We've had a if you look back and you think about what the challenges the last year have brought, and you asked me two years ago, um, how would that all go down? I would have said, wow, that is going to be a mess. And, and it, it certainly has been full of challenges, but this is why we're so thoughtful about who we do deals with ahead of time. Um, there's a lot of parts of the business that can be somewhat commoditized, but when you go into a deal with a partner, um, that you're in the trenches with that person uh, through thick and thin. And so it can't always be just purely an economic decision. You've got to figure out where that chemistry really thrives. And so that has paid off during the past year of partners that have been really good to work with. Now, of course, part of it is that nobody did this. It's not like we screwed up or our lender screwed up or something like that. And that, that just is a part of any human interaction when when you feel like you're, you're doing it together versus saying, well, well, you did something wrong and now I have to come in and help fix it, it just makes the interaction a lot healthier. And so overall though, the past year has been very collaborative. Um, we have, uh, have one partner that I joke with that we say we, we get along better now than we did even when things were good because we we're spending so much time together talking and strategizing. Um, but it is, uh, it, but it wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't had those strong relationships going into this. Right. Do you, uh, I, I would expect in, in this type of business, you have debt as part of just about any deal though. Um, yeah, so right. have you been having to uh, work on a lot of loan modifications then? And I mean, cash flow just isn't anything like what you would a have Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I, I think to set the stage, we were fortunate to come into this with uh, a relatively modest debt structure. Now, uh, that certainly doesn't mean we weren't affected. I just think that we, we never really went overly aggressive on that. Um, that being said, we have had to inject additional capital into deals. We've worked with lenders on, on having some sort of 
forbearances. Um, we haven't had to do anything crazy on any loan, but to the extent that a lender can do something that's effectively non-economic, if that means um, we, we, you know, replacement reserves, for example, giving us a holiday on that or giving us some, uh, some covenant relief and things like that, we've had lenders that have been pretty cooperative with us on that. Um, but for the most part, what we've ended up doing is uh, you know, clearly the operational model had to change dramatically uh, to try to cut costs, which we have done. And then additionally, we've had to put in some additional capital as well. And right. then we've also had reserves that were already being held by lenders in a lot of cases that we were just able to get access to. So it was um, money that was earmarked for something else. Business plan has changed, but now we're able to use it for operational expenses. Okay. So you invest both in the equity of, uh, of the businesses as well as the debt at times. So can you talk a little bit about that debt side? Yeah, so the debt side is somewhat cyclical. So we got started 15 years ago. Uh, and so the first couple of years, things went great. And you know we were fresh to the business, uh, had no experience in it. And we were like, wow, we're, we're just naturally gifted at this hotel thing. This is easy. <laughs> and, and then 2009 hit and, uh, and everything changed. And then we realized that we had to like really get good at the business. Um, and one of those things that we did as far as a quick pivot goes uh, was that we ended up pivoting to buying debt. And part of that was just a comfort level. We, we actually came from a legal and a, an investing background, not from a hotel operations background. And especially given where we were in our life cycle at that point, we were more comfortable playing around in the capital stack. And uh, given that it was a banking driven uh a crisis last time, there was opportunities to buy distressed debt. And so we ended up buying a number of distressed loans, restructuring with the borrowers. And um, in most cases, the borrowers stayed in their asset and we were just able to get interesting returns until we thought that the market had stabilized. Um, we did that till about 2011. And then after that, back to the more traditional value add and opportunistic investing in hotels. Clearly we are in a new distress cycle now. And uh, at this point, we have we have certainly spent a lot more time looking at opportunities to buy debt again. So it is not a, um, a part of the business that has traditionally always been there year after year, but uh, pops up based on where we are in the cycle. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we are always looking for ways on how we can use our hotel expertise in different ways versus just the traditional way of investing into an asset. So we have been exploring recently also originating some debt as well, uh, just as as some of the traditional players in the hotel space have backed out. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, it's really interesting. It seems like there's always a bit of a lag coming out of the uh, the events, though, as well, right? Where those kind of the distressed debt deals probably haven't even hit yet that are going to come out of um, you know this period that we've been going through because everybody's still been trying to work with their lenders and they haven't. Uh, you know, only now are, are things really starting to hit, I would expect. I mean, I don't know, but what the little bit I know about uh, what I've seen in other distressed debt markets in the past, I know yeah, that- you're, Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there. I think when we are, where we sit um, on the operational side, we're feeling that distress so acutely and we're seeing it in real time. So you automatically go to say, well, where are all the opportunities? Because they must be out there given what's happening. Um, and then you step back and realize that it takes time for things to move, especially the larger the institution. I, I think somebody had told me that 
even during the GFC that it ended up taking about eight to nine quarters before banks hit their maximum reserves. And so we are seeing a little bit right now, but it's it's a patience game. Um, we are we're eager to get out there and start investing and buying opportunities. We're not, we're just not seeing a lot quite yet, and hopeful that towards uh, the end of this year and into next year that volume picks up. Right. Yeah. Sounds good. The um, in terms of the uh, the hotels that you go after, are there are there other assets besides uh, hotels? You kind of talk about generally hospitality, but is it really hotels that you guys are focused on? Yeah, th- that's really what the business has been built on. Uh, we have bought debt in other asset classes before. We've had other asset classes that have come as part of deals. We bought a hotel once and uh, we were required to buy the adjacent apartment building as a result of it. So. We, we have definitely dabbled in other things. And, and right now we're looking at a few different asset classes as well, just based on where we think opportunity is. But uh, the vast majority of what we do is hotel. And, and that was a decision that was made sort of on purpose a few years ago uh, when we started the business, because a, again, back to my earlier comment about it being an expert driven field, uh, we didn't want to be generalists. If, if you want to be good at hotels, you have to be hyper-focused on hotels and understand the operating model. And, um, and that's really where we found our success. And so we've decided to, to put all of our resources that way. Which markets have you chose to, to be uh, in ge- geogra- geographically? So we're coast to coast. I think we're in 16 uh, states right now, uh, literally from uh, California, which is our largest market. We have 10 hotels in California all the way to the East Coast in Boston. And generally, we have not chased markets. Uh, we, we are less uh, driven by just overall demographic uh, changes. So if you're a you know, multifamily investor, you want to go where population is rising. That doesn't always correlate directly for hotels. There's a lot of things happening at the micro level at the hotel that, that determine whether or not it's a good opportunity. So um, we started being very agnostic to markets and just going where we thought things were interesting. We've definitely gone towards larger markets as we've grown, partly because the deal sizes are bigger and partly because there's a little bit more liquidity in those type of markets. Uh, right now, we're at a little bit of a crossroads. It's, that's a really interesting conversation that we have internally. We, we like a lot of these higher growth markets like Nashville and Austin and Raleigh. Uh, and we had been eyeing them for a few years. There's a lot to like about them. It felt like we were late to the game uh, as a lot of the run-up happened there and a lot of new supply was happening. So in our mind, we said, let's wait till a new cycle starts once there's a repricing, and then that will be our opportunity to go into those markets. Uniquely enough, as a part of this pandemic, those markets have gone into hyperdrive. <laughs> and so now we're just challenged all over again because we clearly want to be there. And we don't want to get pushed back even further, but at the same time, so does everybody else. And, and we haven't really built our business just chasing deals where we just depend on tailwinds. We often like to go into messier situations. We like to go into opportunities that we think have been overlooked. And, uh, and that doesn't always pop up in a Nashville or an Austin when, when everybody else wants to be there. So uh, I, I think we will definitely be spending more time in those types of markets, but uh, we don't necessarily have like target markets that we absolutely have to be in. Right. How do you identify new deals then in, in, in a portfolio? I know you guys do a fair amount. Um, I was reading a little bit about uh, turnarounds and, and you know, 
putting new money into improving properties, kind of repositioning assets, but how do you identify those properties? Yeah, so as a lot of guys who have experience in an asset class, there's always that sniff test that pretty quickly, you know, hey, I want to spend some more time on this. And, and the, the balance of a investment shop is taking what deal looks interesting and that you know is going to end up probably underwriting to an attractive deal, as well as where can you execute? Because anything that looks good generally has a lot of other people that are looking at it. So the niche that we try to play in is we like to go after quietly marketed things, off-market things, and you know, not too dissimilar what a, that versus what a lot of people will say. Uh, it it requires a lot more grinding it out. Um, you know, it's certainly easier if you just buy from the large brokerage houses and they just you know something pops up in your email and you start reacting to that. What we generally do is uh, we are we're we're doing a lot of legwork. We're spending a lot of time looking at deals. We a lot of our things have a long gestation period to it, but at the end of the day, it's worked out well for us. And in some cases, it's been direct principle to principle. Um, you know, a couple of deals a couple of years ago, we put together a portfolio direct with a, a publicly traded REIT because we knew uh, senior personnel over there, and and it was a solution for them, and it was an opportunity for us, and both of us came to pricing that made sense. Um, that doesn't happen every day and those are tough, but that was a really, uh, th that's an ideal type of situation for us. Right. Yeah, that's, that's real insightful. I appreciate that. The, um, we've talked a lot about the investment side of the business. Then in terms of the management piece, then did you start that up at the, at the same period of time or was that something uh, a little bit later? That was a little bit later. So uh, we got started in 06. And, and as I alluded to before, we, we had no background in hotels. And so we were attracted to the space on a personal level. Um, I personally absolutely love travel. If I can just hop on a plane and go somewhere, that's what I want to be doing. And so it was, it was sort of the dream of being able to combine uh, a career with something that you have a passion for. And we knew we liked real estate. Uh, we liked the hard asset aspect of it. Um, and, and we gravitated towards hotels again because of that operating business. It's an opportunity when you know a couple of guys who really their biggest asset was rolling up their sleeves and working hard. You can go find a business effectively that's underperforming and try to improve it versus uh, you know some of these other uh, types of asset classes that tends to be a lot more about the cheapest cost of capital or moving the fastest. Um, but we clearly didn't know how to run a hotel. So we had third party management with us for those first three years. And, and then when the downturn hit, we effectively brought management in house, partly because it was a way to, to cost save, but we felt like we had learned enough at that point and it was trial by fire. And, and it's like one of those things that you can look back on and say, it was the, the best worst thing that ever happened to you. You would have never asked for it to happen, but it accelerated our knowledge and abilities in the business after that. And, and so um, once we started that, we did, we started self-managing, did everything side by side. And I'd say probably about six or seven years ago, just as we started to really grow and, and pick up, um, I took the lead on the investment side of the business and, and Sheena ended up taking the lead on the management side of the business. Makes but we're still very active on both sides. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And with yeah, over a thousand employees, I was looking at just this morning, even on your website, it looks like you have 31 open positions as we sit here uh, today across your, your different, uh, uh, your, your different properties. So that's quite a bit considering where we're at uh, in this 
you know, in this time and with, uh, with demand being what it is. So um, maybe, yeah, if we could take a step back then and, and, um, and talk about kind of your origin story and, and your connection to Chicago. Uh, maybe yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so as I mentioned, started the business in New York, actually in 2016, uh, I was a private equity, right? Oh, sorry, 2006, right? Yeah, I, I was a uh, private I'm paying equity attention. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I was testing you. <laughs> uh, I was a private equity attorney. Uh, Sheena was doing investment banking, and uh, we were working crazy hours. And when you work crazy hours, uh, you tend to start daydreaming about other things that you can do. And so um, we just started talking about how could we do some things on the side, frankly. It, it was a little bit of escapism and it was fun to think about trying to buy a, um, like a small retail building or trying to get an investment group together to do an apartment deal or something like that. Um, ended up again, as I mentioned before, uh, gravitating towards hotels and, and thought that was interesting and looked at some small economy opportunities. and effectively just passed the hat around. I had uh, partners from my law firm invest with us. I had clients uh, invest with us and, uh, you know, had some friends and family. And, and we basically uh, put a first deal together. Uh, and what I often joke about is that, you know, uh, we obviously know that the last recession was done by, uh, was, was banking related. And frankly, we probably shouldn't have gotten a loan, but, <laughs> but a couple of guys like us were able to get a loan get a deal put together and, and then did another one. And at, at that point, um, neither one of us was married or had kids and felt like it was an opportunity that we could jump into full time. So jumped into it, trying to just see, let's see how it goes. I think in my head, I was like, I'll give it 12 to 18 months. And if it doesn't really work, I can always go back to being a lawyer and, uh, and just had a blast doing it. It was really fun uh, just grinding it out every day and, and getting into the weeds and trying to find opportunities. Uh, certainly scary when the downturn hit because, uh, again, we didn't have the platform uh, that we have now and the team that we have now to help us navigate through everything. It was just, uh, it was just us trying to, to figure out what the right decision was going to be. But learned a lot, a lot of lessons that we kept with us afterwards about, you know, basically, even when things are good, we're always remembering that things can turn. Um, and I think that actually ended up helping us uh, during, during COVID as well was we made really definitive decisions very quickly. And, and that was one of the lessons we learned from last time. And I, I think those quick moves helped us in those early days and just helped stabilize the portfolio early on. Um, but jumping back to the origin story. So uh, as it, you know, in 09, we brought management in-house, started to hire some people. And then um, really we were at this, this place where we needed to decide, were we going to uh, keep growing in New York, which was expensive and difficult on rent and difficult on, on talent, um, or did we wanna potentially go somewhere else? And I, I'm originally from Iowa. My wife is from Ohio. I think I always kind of knew down the line that we might end up in Chicago. Uh, Sheetal and I both went to Michigan. We had a lot of connectivity and a big network in Chicago. And so we both just started to talk about uh, Chicago is being a potential option. And, and so um, we, we, we decided that we were like, let's go. It's, it's a good time right now. And we love the city and we love that it, it uh, provides great opportunity for entrepreneurs, just being a little bit more affordable and also just geographically central and, and made the move. And it's been great and, uh, and have just grown the business from then. 
and, and uh, have been here. So yeah, I think we ended up moving here in uh, 07 uh, or 08. Yeah. I mean, not, uh, it's been a while now. Yeah. I've been quite settled then. That's, that's great. Uh, yep. pr- probably. Uh, yeah. seems like a, a lifetime ago at this point. <laughs> right. But, right. Uh, so, uh, so, did you uh, know Chino from uh, from University of Michigan? Then is that where you guys met initially, or out in New York? We actually knew each other from high school. So oh, wow. we went to boarding school. Uh, I, I grew up in a small farm town in the middle, in uh, rural Iowa, and so it was an opportunity for me to kind of go experience the world and challenge myself a little bit more. Um, so I was there all four years. Uh, Sheena came in junior year, so we knew each other. We were, we, uh, were friendly, but we operated in different circles and weren't particularly tight. Um, it was the first week in Ann Arbor that I was walking down the street and I ran into him and I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I go to school here. What are you doing here? <laughs> and so uh, I ended up uh, kicking, you know, hanging out a lot more after that and just really hit it off and have been uh, really close since then. So uh, it's been a really cool opportunity to be able to grow a business with such a close friend and to also maintain that is, is sort of the cornerstone through obviously two really deep recessions now, lots of highs, lots of lows. I think that that has really been uh, the stabilizer for our business as we've been growing it. Right. That's great. Yeah. When you can have those uh, relationships at the top and and see eye to eye and you guys sounds like you've done a good job really balancing out the, the roles and responsibilities to be between the different sides of the business. So that's great that you've been able to, uh, to balance that. Well, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, when we talk about innovation and the ways that uh, you guys have had to innovate within your business, you, you've talked, you said that there were a couple of things that you did uh, early on with uh, COVID that have really helped you. What were some of those early pivots? helped you get through the crisis. Yeah, you know, a lot of it was, was around the operating model. Uh, we, we did a couple of things. Clearly, we had to make some really difficult choices at the property level, both on, on personnel and how we were going to staff them as, as uh, demand absolutely plummeted. And, and that is still one of the most difficult decisions we ever had to make. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, we also made a decision that we were going to keep our corporate team uh, intact. And a, a, and a lot of our peers were making cuts both, both at the property level and the corporate level. And our view was that that was going to be our first investment in this new cycle. And we wanted to be prepared to navigate the downturn with our full team, as well as be prepared for new opportunities as they arise. So not necessarily innovation, but that was definitely what, uh, some, uh, some of the quick decisions that we made versus thinking like, ah, this will figure itself out. It, you know, just give it 30 days, things will be better. Uh, We took a much more bearish approach very quickly of just saying like, this feels really uh, disruptive for our business. And whenever there's major disruption, you don't just pop back from it, like nothing happened. And, uh, and we need to make those, uh, those big heavy moves right now. Uh, And, and that helps save cash, it helps stabilize the assets, and it, it just put us in a better position. Um, I think on the innovation side, what we have really been trying to do is just incorporate technology a lot more into our decision-making and and trying to build out infrastructure for that. Uh, The hotel business generates an immense amount of data. Uh, We use operating systems that the brands provide to us, and, and they have invested an enormous amount into understanding who their guests are, 
the stays, uh, when people are checking in, what prices they're paying, all those types of things. And we've had a lot of that data available to us, but it was just noise. And, and we didn't really have the ability to do a lot with it. I think what we've been doing more recently is investing in protocols internally that we can take some of that data that talks about forecasting, talks about um, what types of demand we're seeing against our operating model as in particularly around labor and, and trying to figure out how we can get the most uh, efficient about that from a staffing perspective and, and things like that. The other thing too is there was always um, thoughts that we had about a staffing model for hotels but it was difficult when previous to this, we were in a super hot labor market and, uh, and we, were, we were frankly, you know, always behind trying to fill spots and find more people. And, and here's another situation where, you know, kind of best worst thing, we absolutely did not want to have to, to downsize teams and things like that. We wish we had never gone through that. But if we had to go through it, we forced ourselves to ask the question, what are we going to build like build back like are we going to just build back to the exact same way or if we are where we are do we build back differently and so we've spent a lot of time uh, coming up with different innovative models on how to staff and cross train and things like that with the the expectation that it's going to create some permanent cost savings on uh, going forward um we've piloted it at, at a few assets that had some demand uh, that came back quickly uh, during the summer, for example, and saw some really, really good results and uh, look to keep uh, putting it out to the rest of the portfolio. Nice. What about from a pricing perspective and innovation on that side and kind of the market intelligence that you use to set prices? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because it's actually something I, I think about all the time. Um, I'm fascinated by machine learning and AI and all the, the computational power that's out there now. And I've, I've often said that you would think that we could come up to this ultimate world where there's perfect pricing, that you don't have to go to bed thinking like, man, I could have sold one more room if I hadn't put the price so high, or did I leave money on the table because I didn't price high enough? And, and a lot of that, there's a lot of technology that we use internally for what the term in our industry is revenue management, both from the brands as well as some of our, our internal programs. Um, it is still very individual and people heavy. We, we need to have a rock star revenue management team that's managing all those systems. And uh, I, I think we're still far away from that day. You can press a button and everything just automatically comes to perfect pricing. And I think that you have two big challenges on that. You've got in, if you take for an example, uh, a related industry in airlines, heavy, heavy consolidated ownership. And so, and they, they control their inventory that way. And so you can really come up with really interesting pricing systems if you're United or American, because you control the whole thing. Whereas in, in our space, you could have four hotels on four corners and all four of them are owned by different guys. And so we all have different reasons based on how we're pricing, based on if we have a group in-house, if I have a really big loan or if I have no loan, if I, uh, if I feel like working that day, if I don't feel like working that day. So it creates a lot of noise. And then also in, in hotels with the daily pricing, every single piece of data in the world can affect your pricing. Um, we could be in Chicago, but if there is a, a, a terrorist attack in Paris, people might not want to travel even in, in Chicago or even in America. And so that can affect pricing. And so 
I, I think that we have had to find a balance of where we can use all this technology that's available to us, but still have that human interaction that is constantly seeing what trends are happening so that we can, we can supplement it and, and try to make really smart decisions that way. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause there's a lot of, uh, seems like there's tons of variability that you could do, but yeah, in terms of moving the needle, it, it's hard to, hard to measure exactly what, what put something right over the edge and how do you fill that last room? How, yep. how is occupancy, how's occupancy looking, you know, as we sit here today, um, across your portfolio? So, um, I think the best way to describe it is to give you like a kind of a quick rundown of what the last year looked like. So March and April were absolutely atrocious. It is record lows beyond the pale of what anybody ever thought could even happen in the hotel industry. Uh, the summer came back a little bit as leisure travel came, it started to rebound slightly. Uh, corporate and group travel have been completely non-existent during all of this time. But during the summer, we did see an uptick on some leisure travel, particularly drive-to markets, help support occupancy a little bit. Uh, back in the spring, we were somewhat optimistic that maybe business travel would start to come back a little bit in the fall. That definitely did not happen. And, and then we thought maybe it would happen in Q1, and that's not really happening. And so when we saw the latest spike starting in November, we, we saw performance get affected across the portfolio in every location. November, December, and January were very tough months all over again. And January, frankly, almost felt like what April felt like last year. Uh, it has started to, to pick up again. Um, I think we saw that perfect storm of, of post-holidays. It's winter in most of the countries. So travel is seasonally low as it is. Plus, you had the COVID concerns. And when you combine all of that, it put a lot of pressure on occupancies. We have started to see a little bit of an uptick, and we're starting to see some activity again. That is where we sit today. And, and frankly, even some of the, the demand we thought was going to be coming back uh, in the spring Folks are now like, well, I'm only a couple months away from the vaccine. I'm just going to push it off a little bit. And so the first half of the year is going to be quiet and quieter than we, I think we had thought was going to be even a couple of months ago. On the other end, the back half of the year, we're starting to see real activity now. Um, and those are that's even measured by just inbound calls. Uh, the phone literally has not been ringing at all for the past year. And so now we're suddenly seeing groups that are like, hey, I've got a soccer tournament in August or a film crew that's saying we're planning to start filming in September. We're seeing a, a wedding that wants to happen in October. This is all picking up a little bit more, which is really encouraging. So for a lot of us in the business, it's just hanging on, being patient. Um, it's going to continue to be a little tough. So we're definitely in that really streamlined operational mode, uh, hoping that by like March or April, we start to see some, some initial growth and, and really start to see a more meaningful recovery starting by June or July. Yeah, that, uh, you know, it's interesting in terms of how long it, uh, things are kind of dragging out to, well, it feels like they're dragging out in terms of the, with the vaccine rollout, but really we've made a lot of progress here. And then, um, you know, once, once we get through and at least the, you know, probably the summer getting kids back into, in the schools for real <laughs> and actually right. going full time. I think that, uh, 
you know, there will be a lot, a lot more of that. And I really expect it to be quite strong. You know, once we get to the other side, I do believe there's a fair amount of pent up demand that you'll see on the other side of this. Is, is that your I, general uh, thoughts as well? I, I think that's right. I think uh, we're seeing uh, surveys and data that are supporting that, but you also just can go by anecdotal evidence of talking to any friends and, and families, everybody wants to go somewhere and do something. If it's just going down to downtown Chicago for a staycation, or if it's going to California or Florida or whatever it is, uh, we're encouraged by the data about household savings rates. Um, we also know that oftentimes during recessions, people tend to put off buying things and end up actually focusing more on services. And this has been a complete 180 folks are stuck at home, they're buying Pelotons and TVs, they've kind of bought all the junk they need, they, they want to go to restaurants and go to go travel. Um, that's what it feels like. And that's what keeps us optimistic about it. Uh, I think on the leisure side, we're hoping that we could see a, a real boom, sort of like you're, you're talking about. I think the part that a lot of folks are more wary about and aren't sure what to think about is business travel. For our type of hotels, it is the largest demand driver. And um, a part of me is a little bit more bullish than other people. I, I think there's a little bit of a lowest uh, common denominator aspect to this of where if, uh, if everybody is doing things over Zoom, you can operate via Zoom. But the second you find out that another vendor is showing up in person to pitch your biggest client, you're gonna feel like you gotta get on a plane and go out and meet that person uh, in person as well. So I think that there could be a, an uptick on some of this business travel or travel in a way that um, might be a little bit more optimistic. I, you know, I tend to be a conservative guy, but on that side, I am a little bit more bullish and, and uh, I'm hopeful that that comes and surprises us on the high side. Uh, I think people want to do group travel. I, I, I've never seen as many people say they're actually excited to go to a conference. Uh, I know that's going to be a lot tougher to put together because there's a real health and safety component to that, that, uh, that people are going to have to get comfortable with. And, uh, but I think on like those one-on-one -on -one business trips, uh, going and just calling on a customer, going and meeting an investor or whatever it is, uh, I, I feel like that's going to come back in a little bit of a bigger way. At least I'm hopeful that it will. Right. Well, you certainly have had your uh, hands full managing, uh, those businesses through these uh, tumultuous times. I think that, uh, See that you're also involved in some professional organizations as well with the Economic Club of Chicago and YPO. Wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about those as well and your involvement. Yeah, um, look, I, that's actually been one of the hardest things through all of this is beyond the challenges of the business. Like I, I love meeting people and networking and being out there, and uh, and all of these things now are non-existent or virtual, which isn't quite the same. Uh, so I do look forward to those days of getting back to Economic Club of Chicago events and things like that and meeting folks in, in, in town. Uh, YPO has been a phenomenal organization. Uh, it's, it's helped me a lot as we've been growing the business and just kind of learning from other CEOs. But particularly this past year, we have these subgroups called forums where it, it's effectively like eight to 10 folks that, that talk on a highly confidential basis and just share everything with one another. Um, and a lot of them are more local and you're talking about personal and you're talking about uh, business. I'm actually in a, uh, also in a hospitality forum, which is with other hotel owners. And it's everybody from uh, 
owner operators up to CEO of a, of a major publicly traded REIT. And we all uh, talk very regularly. In the early days, we were talking weekly. We were on Slack sending um, advice to each other. Uh, and that was incredibly powerful through all of that. I think one, just recognizing you're not the only one going through this and we don't somehow have the one portfolio that's getting hit and everybody else is doing fine. Uh, and, and there were some major decisions that had to be made and sometimes they almost in a vacuum felt really drastic. But when we were able to share with other people that were going through the same thing, uh, it, was, it was helpful to get some confidence around that. And so um, that was an incredibly valuable uh, group during all of that. Uh, they were great before that. They still are great. They're really good friends and um, incredibly fortunate to have uh, YPO. Yeah, great. That's uh, it's exciting to hear about. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It was great to learn a little bit about you and your business. I think that, uh, you know, for people who want to uh, find out more, your website's probably a good place to start. ArborLodging.com, any, any place else that we should uh, point people to? I'll include some links uh, to your LinkedIn and otherwise as well. Yeah, that would be great. I appreciate it. That's the best place. You can learn about our, our company and, uh, and the team members as well. All right. Well, best of luck as you uh, work through this. And uh, thanks for joining. Appreciate the time, Drew. Thanks a lot. Okay. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.